Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 76. It's titled, Should You Lend to Your Peers? In 2006, I decided to become a personal banker. I opened an account on a relatively new site called Prosper and funded it with a few thousand dollars. Then I set about finding people to whom I could lend. This was in the early days of peer-to-peer lending, when you were literally lending to your peers. People who wanted to borrow wrote narratives about themselves, what, what they were going to do with the money. Then they uploaded photos so you could look them in the eye to see if they seemed like the kind of person who would pay you back. Prosper also performed some of their own due diligence, such as credit checks and income verification. They then ranked the borrowers by their credit worthiness. Borrowing rates range from 8% to well over 20% with terms of three to five years. I probably did several dozen loans, but I don't remember very many of them. But one that I do remember was a woman named Corey. She was 21 years old. She was a baton teacher, and she taught baton at the local schools. She had no credit history, but she wanted to buy a car so she could get from her lessons or get to to and from her lessons at the various schools. Previously, she was working at Subway, and she had a fairly high debt balance. She borrowed $5,000 at 23% interest rates. I put up roughly $100, and then other members of Prosper contributed to, to the rest, and then that funded the entire loan. What was fascinating about Prosper was They opened up their data, so there were third-party sites that aggregated it through their their API. You could bring in all the various data on the loan, so you could see how everyone was doing, who had the largest portfolios, and how were they performing. The top lenders on Prosper had well over $400,000 in loans. Then, this was in 2006, The Great Recession hit in 2008. Unemployment rates rose and defaults on Prosper loans soared, including a number of my loans. In 2008, the federal government shut down Prosper for illegally selling unregistered securities. It turns out this process of aggregating funds from willing peer-to-peer lenders is considered selling an unregistered security. In the U.S., companies can only sell unregistered securities to accredited investors. Those are individuals with a net worth of at least $1 million or annual income exceeding $200,000. Prosper was shut down. A class action suit ensued, which Prosper ultimately settled for about $10 million. A few weeks ago, I got my final check from Prosper as a settlement for this suit. It was for $16.00. And 83 cents. The good news is Corey, the baton teacher, actually paid me back. Although in retrospect, 23% interest on a car loan seems absolutely usurious. I, I, I feel bad about lending that much, but that that's sort of what the rates were. And we'll look a little bit later in this episode on some of the rates on the peer-to-peer lending sites that exist, why they're so high, but then what is the net return to borrowers. So many of those that I lended to did default, 
And I sort of ignored it for several years. And then roughly around 2010, 2011, after most of the loans, at least those that were paying, had paid off, I calculated my return. And it it was essentially break-even to about a 2% annualized return. Now, that was not the end of peer-to-peer lending. Prosper reopened, they reorganized its business operations, and along with its other largest competitor, Lending Clubs, they still facilitate peer-to-peer loans. Only now investors don't lend directly to their peers. Instead, Lending Club and Prosper and most of the other peer-to-peer lending sites issue, well, here's the term that Lending Club calls it, member payment-dependent notes. Every borrower that wants to borrow on these peer-to-peer lending sites has a security created on their behalf. In the case of Prosper and Lending Club, where you can still, you don't have to be an accredited investor to invest, they're registered securities. In a site such as Upstart, which is focused on taking in funds from accredited investors, the securities are unregistered. So the security created on the behalf of every borrower, and then the borrower gets the proceeds from that, that security sale, and then the investor's return on the security is based on the interest rate and whether the borrower pays back the loan. The result is the investors, you don't get to see whom you're lending to. You don't, there's no pictures. You don't really know anything other than some basic credit and financial information, such as a credit score, their gross income, debt-to-income statistics, their employment status, whether they own their own home, and other information related to their pattern of paying back. So it's, it's basically financial data. You don't get to see who it is. You don't know their name. You can't look them up on the internet. And, and that's how it has evolved in terms of these peer-to-peer lending sites. Now, Upstart is an interesting company because they started out actually, and I mentioned Upstart back, I think it was at one of the episodes in the 40s when we were talking about ways to fund college education or post-secondary education. And Upstart was this, this site that was going to do, you could do equity investments essentially in students who graduated or who were studying and then you got a percentage of their income throughout their life or over a certain period of time. Apparently, that business model did not work out so well, so they pivoted, and now Upstart is a, a peer-to-peer lending site. They say that they not only rank loans based on credit scores, but they also look at schools attended, grade point average, and standardized test scores. Back in episode 21, Investing Without a Map, I briefly discussed peer-to-peer lending versus direct lending. I do and have done some direct lending to individuals that I know. And and one of the big differences is with when you do direct lending, you can get a personal guarantee from the person you're lending to. Oftentimes you can get some type of security in terms of collateral that they put up for the loan. But with a peer-to-peer lending site, it is not what's known as non-recourse debt. So it's unsecured. If the borrower defaults, there is no recourse. You just don't get paid. Now, the peer-to-peer lending sites works with the borrower and tries to get paid, but there essentially is 
unsecured debt. And that's one reason why the interest rate is higher. Now, there are many, many types of peer-to-peer lending sites. At FinCon, I met a gentleman by the name of Joseph Hogue. He runs a site called Peer Finance 101. Back in July, he did a really comprehensive review of all the different peer-to-peer lending sites. And I'll link to it in the show notes. If you remember the Insider's Guide, you will have gotten already gotten that link. And he details over 20 peer-to-peer lending sites. And I, I had breakfast with him, and, and we kind of got into a conversation. And he reiterated how banks are being disintermediated in that because of some of the, the compliance issues, you just... There's sort of this gap there where a lot of these peer-to-peer lending sites have stepped in and and are lending. And many of these sites, their backers are institutional investors. In in other words, institutional investors, hedge funds are now getting in to -to peer-to-peer lending because they see an attractive return. So that caught my interest. In fact, Joseph even mentioned some banks are lending sort of on the side through peer-to-peer lending sites. And I've noticed the number of peer-to-peer lending sites has certainly increased. And and I think back in episode 21, I was somewhat negative on peer-to-peer lending. I preferred to do direct lending when I had some type of, of collateral or security. But I decided to look at it with fresh eyes and particularly look at, well, what is a reasonable rate of return you can expect from peer-to-peer lending. I went into the sites and I, and I tried to see you know, how open they were with the data. If you recall, Prosper was very, very open in their early days. Now, not so much. They, they have the tools there, but as I tried to screen for loans, most of it came up blank. The best I could see is they showed the estimated return for loans that were issued between December 13 or December 2013 and September 2014, they're estimating an annualized return of 6.87%. Now, that's just an estimate. I wanted to get hard data of loans that had been essentially gone through their entire cycle, either got paid off or defaulted. Because one of the things with with all these peer-to-peer lending sites, they're putting estimates on what you can reasonably expect a return with each of the different credit grades. But sometimes they, they, I want to see the actual data. And so what I did is I ran, and Lending Club was very, very transparent with the data. So I ran, you know, how did the loans do that were issued during the recession or even before the recession hit? So first quarter of 2007 through fourth quarter 2008, there was about 25 million loans issued on Lending Club, the average interest rate was 12.3%, and the adjusted net annualized rate of return, and this is something Lending Club does to really sort of, as they do forward-looking data, what they believe the actual returns will be based on prior payment history. But in this case, since these are all three- to five-year loans, they've all been paid off, essentially. And so the net annualized return was 1.98%. So roughly 2%, about what I earned when I was lending through Prosper. And what's surprising is the, the historical returns 
that I saw in Lending Club and the estimated future returns that I see on Prosper and on Upstart are actually fairly close. So those loans that were issued during the recession, the the best category was those rated A, the top category. That annualized return was 5.3%. The worst category was negative 2.3% return. That was the F to G. So the bottom... During a recession, that's what you expect. The highest graded borrowers would do would have the highest return for those that invested in those loan packages, and those with the poorest credit had the worst return, a negative return, negative 2.3% annualized. I then looked at it over periods that post-recession. So the 2009 vintage year, in that case, the, the average return over all loans was 5.3%. The best category was the D loans. They they returned 6.3%, and the worst were the F to G loans, 2.7%. What I did is I I wanted to see what the returns were. So I put together a cheat sheet so I could sort of summarize it, and I'll send that to you. If you remember the Insider's Guide, you already got the link to it. If you're not a member of the Insider's Guide, please go to episode 76 of moneyfortherestofus.net, sign up there. And, and I'll, you'll sign up for the Insider's Guide, and I'll go ahead and I'll send you this cheat sheet. I show you the vintage year returns by, by different years, actual history for Lending Club, some estimated returns for Prosper, and also some modeled returns for Upstart. But overall then, from 2009 through to 2011... Lending Club issued $435 million worth of loans. So the average return or the average interest rate was about 12.9%. Their estimated return, much of which has already been completed. So this is is pretty much historical data. You think about loans issued in 2011, those will have paid off in 2016. We're almost there. So this is a pretty good, I think, estimate of what you can expect to do during a non-recessionary period. Their all loans adjusted net annualized return is 6.6%. The best category is the E, which is the second from the bottom, 8.1% return. And the worst category were the A loans at 4.6%. The takeaway here is the there's a different return expectation if we're in a recession or entering into recession or not. So if we look out, these are the term of these loans are three years versus or five years. Will we enter into a recession? Because certainly when you look at the returns, those those lower rated categories, the, the recession certainly impacts the return and the, and the returns are lower. Interestingly, the highest rated category, the A, tends to do well in both recession and non-recessionary. And by well is the return is pretty consistent. So during the recession, the returns for these these A credits, the highest credits was about 5.3%. During the non-recessionary periods, about 4.6%. So obviously rates have fallen, even though default rates also decreased. That's similar to what we see in terms of Upstart's model return. They're estimating their highest grade credits. The triple A's are going to return 4.6%. The double A's, 5.3%. Prosper, think their A category, they're expecting about a 4.6% return. So 4 to 5%. And 
And that's what got me thinking, you know, where does these peer-to-peer lending fit into a portfolio? Because I often thought of peer-to-peer lending, you look at, you look at these 15 to 20% rates, that's not the way to look at it in terms of that's not going to be your return. You really should be looking at it as a return somewhere between 45 and 6.5%. Now, you can do better than that if you invest in the lowest-rated credits and we don't run into a recession. In that case, you potentially could earn 85 or 9%. But over a complete credit cycle, when we, when we have a recovery and a recession, what is a reasonable rate of return if you consistently invested in these notes or these loans over a period of time. And I think Upstart probably does the best job of modeling it out. I've already mentioned their highest grade credits sort of earning 4.6% or 4. Point, yeah, 4.6% to just for that so that's triple A A rate it's A rate it's about 6% as you drop down into B a 6 and 3 quarters and then their lowest credit category E they're assuming Eight and a half percent. Now that's based on a interest rate of eighteen point nine to twenty five percent, and your net return after all collections is about eight and a half percent annualized, and so the loss rate per year is about fifteen percent. That is very very risky credits, and if we hit a recession, we'll probably do worse than that. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. So let's go back to this, this idea that this is essentially a bond substitute. And I really think this is the way to look at peer-to-peer lending. Right now in the U.S., the, the Barclays U.S. Credit Index yield, yield to worst, or essentially it's yield to maturity, is 3.3%. So these, these are corporate credits, investment grade. That would be similar to sort of this A to AAA rated of these peer-to-peer upstart loans. There, you're, you're estimating a return you know, the interest rates that there is about 4 to 4.7%. And for the lower grade, it's single A, sort of 58 to 8.4%. 
But again, the estimated return is kind of in that four and a half to six percent range for these sort of these investment grade consumer credits. You compare that with the corporations, it's about three point three percent yield. When we look at high yield, so non-investment grade credits in the U.S. right now, they're yielding seven point seven percent. So, and that's before default rates. Right now, Moody's estimates the the global high yield default rates about two point four percent. Now, that's that's much lower than the default rates estimated for sort of these lowest rated credits on Upstart and Lending Club. But here's the advantage of peer-to-peer lending over traditional bond investing, at least in the current environment. First off, the rates are higher. So you get a higher yield to maturity on the peer-to-peer lending rates. The other thing is the, the loans are not marked to market. In other words, when you go out and you buy a, a mutual fund or an ETF that invests in bonds, as the interest rates go up, the value of those bonds go down, the, the fund manager, or the ETF managers, those, those bonds are marked to market, and so they, they are recorded at a lower price, and that reduces the net asset value. And, and, and so you're, you're seeing the loss on your portfolio. Now, we've talked about over time, the best estimate of a return for a bond is its current yield to maturity, excluding default rates. And so the U.S. credit index, 3.3% yield, that's probably what you're going to earn over the next seven years if you held that fund or ETF to maturity because as interest rates go up, the value of the bonds would go down, but then the, the bond proceeds, the interest that's coming as the manager will continue to be investing at higher yielding bonds, and then it all kind of works out to where your overall returns end up being pretty close to the starting yield to maturity. And that's just how the mathematics works. But with peer-to-peer lending, there isn't this mark-to-market. You're holding the loan to maturity or until it's defaults. And so you don't have this, this inherent volatility that is you have with traditional bond funds. Now, if they were actually marked to market, you would see it. So it's sort of an apples and oranges comparison. But because you're holding it to maturity, it's just like if you bought an individual bond, right, you'll get back your actual principal amount. But even when you buy an individual bond, that is marked to market on your brokerage account. But with peer-to-peer lending, you could build out a diversified portfolio of hundreds, if not thousands of loans. You can, you can do it for as little as $25 a loan. And then if you wanted a much more conservative portfolio, you, you could assume you know, essentially a 45 to 5% type return. That's much higher than you're going to get in a CD. You're going to get with a any type of a bond right now. So that's attractive. And it's also, you know, one of my concerns where the rates were so high when it comes to to lending. But if, if you focused on sort of the highest tier, those borrowing rates are actually pretty competitive. Sort of four to eight percent for the borrower's pers- perspective for unsecured debt. And by rates too high, what I mean is I'm uncomfortable having lent to Corey, the baton teacher, at a 23% percent 
annual rate for her car loan. And so the, these 20% plus rates, in a sense, they're justified because the default rates are so high. I just personally, ethically have difficulty lending at that rate. But I am attracted to lending at these lower rates, which also have much lower default rates. And, and so I'm going to pursue more peer-to-peer lending. I did it earlier with Prosper. I have an account at Lending Club. I'm actually even more interested in Upstart. I had an account there. I have an account, but they now that they've pivoted, they've not approved me to 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 invest. They they must have a huge demand because the support desk didn't respond to my emails and and essentially my application is on hold. So, but I I'm going to try it and look at it as a bond substitute. Hopefully, earn four and a half the 6.5% return in a, in a fairly conservative manner. Now, there's another... Now, well, let me just say, most as I look through the loans, such as on Lending Club, most of them are being used for credit card refinancing, debt consolidation, and there's a few home improvements, but that's the vast majority of the loans. So I'm going to pursue it. There is not a huge, as I understand it, market. Once you've made your decision, apparently you can sell your loans. If I've invested in some loans, I can sell it in the secondary market through Folio. Lending Club makes that available. I don't know much about it because they haven't approved me for it yet. So here's what I'm gonna, I want to explore that in, in some detail. What I'll do is I'll actually... If you remember my insider's guide, I'll send you audio, sort of a separate tape, kind of a mini podcast just on that to, to kind of give you my impressions of that. So go ahead and to moneyfortherestofus.net, sign up for my insider's guide. You'll get this cheat sheet for the reasonable estimated returns for peer-to-peer lending that I put together. And then eventually, once I do the audio on the secondary market, you know, can you purchase loans on the secondary market or or sell the loan books that you have, and, and, and sort of what's the haircut for doing that. My suggestion, if you do this, don't plan on selling your loans. Just just put in the amount of money that you can hold for three to five years. Make sure your vintage year diversified. So just have a, a process of investing in loans over time, build up your portfolio, hold it through the credit cycle, and just assume you're going to earn kind of that Four and a half to six and a half percent range, and and hopefully it'll do better than that. Maybe it'll do seven to eight percent, but that's kind of the reasonable assumption that I would assume. The other thing that I'm pursuing, just to to finalize in direct lending, is this is really something I I stumbled upon just in the last month. A lot of n- near retirees or those saving for retirement like to do self directed individual retirement accounts. This is for U.S. investors. These are, these are tax-deferred accounts. But most oftentimes, IRA are invested with a brokerage fund. But you could do a self-directed option. In fact, you can invest your IRA in Lending Club. But some self-directed IRA investors like to invest in rental property. And banks, most there are very, very few banks will actually lend on that. So if I, if I have an IRA and I want to put up the equity to buy an apartment building, 
oftentimes I don't necessarily want to put up 100% equity. I'd like to borrow money and have some leverage involved. Most banks won't lend on that. And I had a friend approach me to see if I wanted to lend on an apartment building that he had built, brand new, 12-plex, for somebody he knows that wants to self-direct his IRA. And I looked at it, and I called banks around the country, and I found that lending rates were anywhere from 55 to 8%, so much higher than for a traditional mortgage because the borrower doesn't have to issue a personal guarantee like you do with a typical mortgage. And so this is an area of direct lending I'm looking at where I can get a 6.5% rate. So similar return that I could get with these peer-to-peer lending sites, but with the huge caveat is I have a security interest in the property. So if this investor defaults on the loan, then I can take control of the property. And I, I, I hope to heavens that doesn't happen because I don't want him to lose his retirement. He's put up 50% equity. It'll be 50% debt. So there'll be some leverage there. But that that's an interesting phenomena for those of you that, that want to do perhaps direct lending in larger amounts. Take a look at this self-directed IRA and, and do the debt lending. I don't want to do the I don't want to put up equity. I don't want to own private real estate anymore. And in fact, this particular property I'm looking at, the return on the bond or on the debt that I'm earning is higher than the equity return that the investor will be earning in terms of how they've modeled it out. So that's episode 76. Should you do peer-to-peer lending or lend to your peers? Again, you can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.net. Also sign up for my insider's guide there, and I'll send you the cheat sheet and the follow-up audio lesson on purchasing or selling your peer-to-peer loans in the secondary market. This past week on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I rolled out expected returns and reasonable ranges of returns for stocks by region. So global stocks, U.S. stocks, European stocks, Asian stocks, emerging markets, Canada, all there as building blocks, ingredients that will be used in the model portfolios that I'll roll out in the coming weeks. Now, these model portfolios, I can tell you right now, having done the research on peer-to-peer lending, will include, at least some versions will include, some aspects of peer-to-peer lending. Because one way you can boost your overall portfolio return is if your quote-unquote bond portfolio is not yielding 2% like global bonds are right now, or two and three quarters like U.S. bonds, but are yielding or have an expected return of four and a half to five to six percent, which you can get peer-to-peer lending. So I'm going to do that as part of the model portfolio. You can get more information at the hub at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast on your app, please hit the subscribe button. It'll come to you every week, Wednesday, about 12 noon Eastern time. 